0: Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said podcast. I'm Lisa Fisher, a longtime broadcaster and journalist in Arkansas, who's been in front of a microphone or a camera since the 1980s. I think of myself as the queen of Arkansas media. For this episode, it's my favorite topic tied with intermittent fasting, but it's your thyroid. If you're cold, constipated, have trouble losing weight, this is the episode for you. Leisha Nicely is a dietitian, functional nutrition practitioner, and she calls herself a Hashimoto's warrior who's on a mission to teach other thyroid warriors how to heal through nutrition. You'll get to meet her right after this. You know, there's one thing I know, and that is... Podcast Advertising Works. Yeah, I have been talking about Aqual's Carpet One for quite some time on my podcast and personally and on my social media because I'm a customer, but I love it when you respond. And I say that because one of the listeners to the Lisa Fisher Said podcast reached out to me. We'll call her Hannah because that's her name. And Hannah was the one who had a, a situation where uh, the office flooded, couldn't get anybody to call her back and when they did it was six weeks wait it was all these things and she just in desperation said do you have anybody at Hagel's carpet you can maybe introduce me to and i was in santa fe at the time i was like girl anything for you got her hooked up with paul paul either went out there like that day or the next day got the estimate and within like 24 hours, it got taken care of. And that may be 48, but I'm telling you, lickety split. It was done so efficiently, so professionally, and they love the results. That's what everybody says when they shop with Acles Carpet One. Of course, these are the people who beat the big box store prices. Check them out online, One.com.
1: She won most talkative in high school, and she
0: has been running her mouth ever since. Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast with your host, Lisa Fisher. Okay, the beloved thyroid. Lisa, it is my favorite thing to talk about. Like some people will tell you who was on The Bachelor this season. I will tell you who had a swollen thyroid on Oprah last week. Like this is how it's just been kind of the bane of my existence. It also has given me something... That I kind of lock arms, especially with women, because we see this more in women than men. But tell me, what was your path into the knowledge of that beloved little thyroid, butterfly-shaped gland we have above our chest bone here?
1: Yeah, absolutely, Lisa. And, and thanks for having me today. I I too could talk about the thyroid all day long. It's my favorite topic. Um, it's what I do, but yeah, how I got to this place. So, like most dietitians, right out of school, I started a job clinical, um, started in hospital, worked ICU, PCU, really enjoyed it for the first couple of years, fast-paced, you know, learned a lot. But then I began to realize I wanted to be more outpatient and work with. People more long term and help them reach their goals. So I got hired as the staff dietitian at a wellness center, and I loved it. We did um, so much great work through nutrition and extensive lab work and lifestyle changes, and that really opened my eyes to how you can support the body and healing. I thought it was incredible. We dealt with, or we dealt with chronic, all the chronic diseases you can think of autoimmunity. And it was actually during that time that I myself was diagnosed with both Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism during some routine lab work. And it came to a shock uh, at first, both for myself and my doctor, because I Thought I was in great health. I, you know, was a dietitian and I was practicing what I preached. And um, but my lab said otherwise. My lab said that my body was in crisis. That I had been struggling with this for a very long time. And it's true. Now knowing what I know, I probably have had Hashimoto's for 15 years, roughly. (laughs) So um, that really sent me to dig very, very deep as far as understanding this very important gland understanding the immune system, understanding um, Hashimoto's. So I started to do all the research, all the things, all the reading, um, and also became a credentialed integrative and functional practitioner myself, because we aren't taught as dietitians very much on the thyroid and autoimmunity um, during school. So I wanted to get a better understanding, not only for myself, of course, but I was also working with a lot of thyroid clients and um, felt that this was my passion, but also responsibility to just know how to better care for these situations that I was, you know, dealing with myself and then all of our, our clients and patients.
0: Well, what's unusual about your story is so many of us, meaning myself included, had to lock arms and almost kick our doctors, you know, in the shins to say, listen to me, something is wrong. So many women who come to me just, um, in my my work, just as being, I call myself a thyroid advocate and also Mm -hmm. in health coaching, they'll say, I tell my doctor these things, or I have swollen, I've a swollen gland here. You can see it. Or my hair falls out, constipated cold. How did you get through all that? I mean, how did, I didn't know someone ever just got showed up and said, Hey, you have, um, high antibody levels. And it was a surprise to you. How how did that happen? Did you have any (laughs)
1: symptoms? So I did. Um, Hindsight is twenty twenty, as I always say. And this that was very true for me because I was diagnosed in two thousand seventeen. So I was, you know, this that was four years ago. I was in my mid twenties, and all throughout college, I chalked up a lot of those symptoms that now I realize are connected to my thyroid, to stress, right. working multiple jobs, my internship. Um, and I just thought it was normal. Um, I think I was also in denial that I can't be unhealthy. I'm, also, I'm living very right. healthily. But in, in reality, I wasn't. I wasn't really being aware of what my body was trying to communicate, of the symptoms that kept stacking on each other. And then when I got the diagnosis, and for anyone who understands thyroid lab work, like my TSH was 42, my <gasps> antibodies were through the roof. Oh and my, my, my general gosh. practitioner was like, how are you like out of bed? Like, how are you here? Girl. And I was like, I don't know. I've been like this for a long time. So what, it was What definite, was your antibodies? Do you remember what your antibodies It just antibodies said were greater than a thousand. It didn't okay. even read. It was okay. it was off the charts. Um and that it took a while for me to process and accept that my body was not as healthy as I had thought. But it also gave me some relief that, oh, you know what? I Those symptoms all make sense now. And this isn't normal. And I don't have to live like this so yes i agree um i hear many many hundreds of stories like you do about people come to me and they say i can't get a full thyroid pain My like, doctor won't listen i can't get the proper oh, medication and um so although i can't Ugh. relate in that regard um i also wish i would have learned or just know what to ask for a lot sooner because my body was probably struggling a lot longer than it, it could have
0: Okay, well, I'm jotting down some things that, that I want to make sure we mention. One, let's just go over the reference range. And we'll start, because you're young, you may not know this. So I've re- since I've done the research for almost you know, 18, 20 years, um, there was a time, Leisha, that the reference range... Okay, so you know there... what Used to, before 1973, you went to your doctor and you said, gosh, I'm constipated and cold. And he would check your, or he or she would check your reflexes. And if they mm-hmm. were slow, delayed... A, a doctor, they were functional medicine doctors before we even knew they were, because they would they would find out what's going on to make all this happen. And a doctor would say, here, go home, take this back. There was armor thyroid before we even knew about it. Mm-hmm. And then in four to six weeks, if they didn't feel better, they'd go, well, we'll just cross that off the list. It wasn't your thyroid. Typically it was, I'll just tell you that editor's note. But <laughs> 1973 Abbott Laboratories came in and said, Eureka, we have found A goldmine in this thyroid stimulating hormone test. Don't ever talk to your patients anymore. No, that's not what they said. I oversimplify things, (laughs) but don't ever talk to your patients anymore. Let them take this lab work and it will tell you if you magically have this condition. And that's when the reference range was 10, anything above 10 on the thyroid stimulating hormone. So for people listening, they're going, what is that? Oh, is my thyroid low or high? When the number goes up, it means your thyroid's low. When the number goes down, it means your thyroid's high. It's the opposite of what you think. So then they backed it up. And so when I finally I got diagnosed in 03, 18 years ago, it was um, about some said 5.5, and then they were changing it to 3.9. So Mm -hmm. I was at 3.8. I'd been climbing all those years that I'd been saying for four years, something's not right. And at that point, it was a doctor who did check my reflexes and palpated my thyroid. And he said, now you're at 3.8. I'm not supposed to give you this medicine yet. But he said, let me, and he did say, let me look at your antibody count. And mine has got, have gone up to 2,400 before, Mm -hmm. after the death of a friend. Um, But they were 1,300 then. And Mm -hmm. he, and he explained to me, I'm, I'm telling all this, I know you know this, but for people listening, we're talking about some voodoo for them. They're going, wait, what? Mm-hmm. Um, he had told me then that my body, had it was a slow, I remember he said it was an insidious attack of the thyroid gland and it does take years. So like you, you had symptoms, but because you're a high achiever, you're real driven, you stuffed it over here. Mm-hmm. And then there's a time where your body can't fake it anymore. And you, you may not have gotten to that point, but let me tell, okay, let me explain this. Let me bore you with this. My TSH was 3.8. I had strep throat two times as an adult. I had stomach viruses that lasted five days. See, my body was fighting the wrong battle. It was fighting my beloved little butterfly gland. Um, I, I, I couldn't, my, uh, I lost a fingernail. I couldn't grow it back. Like things Mm -hmm. wouldn't, weren't working. That was at 3.8. I couldn't get out of bed, Leisha, at 3.8. I took three naps a day. You were at 42. I don't yeah. see how you put one foot in front of the other. So the higher <laughs> no. the number goes, for people listening, the higher the number yeah. goes, the worse you feel.
1: Yeah. And I, I did, you know, looking back, I, I did have a lot of the common symptoms, extreme fatigue. And I don't know why I thought it was normal. I don't know, you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know. Whew. And I feel like that happens a lot with with women. And like you said, yeah. overachievers, type yeah. A, you know, people who like control, like that was, that is and absolutely was me. So I just, I hear that a lot too. You know, women will say my, my TSH was 150. And I was like, "Oh my yeah, god!" it can happen. And for people who don't know, TSH stands for thyroid stimulating hormone. It's actually secreted by the pituitary gland, but it communicates, it senses the levels of thyroid hormones in your body and tells your thyroid, hey, we need to produce more, produce less. So in that, you know, with it being so elevated, my brain was like, crisis, there are no Mm. thyroid hormones to be found, (laughs) you know, and my thyroid couldn't produce the right amounts because of what I learned at the time, Hashimoto's and my thyroid gland being so damaged and, you know, underproductive. Did you have goiter? I did not. No.
0: You didn't. Mm -mm. That's very unique. Or uh, of the cases I know about, they often then have a swollen gland. Did they palpate your thyroid from behind? Yeah, they
1: checked it, you know, and um, had an ultrasound. And I was lucky not to have nodules. You know, they did kind of check out everything and refer me to an endocrinologist as they do. And um, somehow I think I got lucky in that respect.
0: So the first question they ask, um, uh, he asked me, this endocrinologist, my mother had died when I was 12. But he said, what about your mother? What about your aunts? I don't have any sisters. And so I, I kind of explained some things I remember about my mother had passed away, but I remember having heavy periods. I remember she had depression. She was slim though, cause she smoked and drank. Mm. And he said, that's why he goes, she smoked and drank. So that's what she did. But he, he, there were just some other things. He said, I bet your mom had thyroid disease. Cause the heavy periods is a big symptom for people. But did you have siblings or mother or anybody that had had thyroid disease before you?
1: Yeah, I didn't know it until after oh, the fact wow. and a conversation started with my family members. Um, my mom did not, but my her mom, my grandma, uh, has Graves' disease, so autoimmune oh, wow. hyperthyroid. Um, and then I found out like my aunt has low thyroid, my cousin on my dad's side has Hashimoto. so it all started coming out like, oh, there's actually a huge genetic component in, in my family line, and it made a lot of sense, too, <laughs> that I also was struggling with this.
0: Right. Um, so what did you bring your TSH down to? What is it now?
1: Yeah. So it's regulating now. I'm actually four months postpartum. So I am still kind of, you know, regulating it with lowering my medication and, um, but it's been, I have a really good endocrinologist who is very good about checking every six weeks now. Um, and it's been maintained in that optimal range of or what functional medicine considers optimal, like that 0.5 to 2, roughly. And I know it can be a little Mm -hmm. bit different um, depending on who you speak to. But, um, you know, initially, I actually didn't want to be medicated, believe it or not, because when I was first diagnosed, because I I said,
0: no, I was like, let
1: me. And this was me not knowing what I was talking about at the time. But I was like, let's see what I can do without making any, without taking thyroid hormones. So, you know, ignorantly, I did that for just a couple months. Um, and I did lower it to like 20 something, which I thought was pretty good, but then I did start medication and I went down the path of discovering the right type of thyroid hormones for me. Um, and that took some time, obviously it it can take some time, but I didn't have a really good like doctor to really educate me on like, no, this is extremely important for your situation. Like start them ASAP. Um, yeah. Well, especially
0: pregnancy. I mean, we see now that uh, pregnant women who aren't treated
1: fully could impede the baby's brain development. Oh, yeah. This was before I was, when I was diagnosed uh, four years oh, ago, not, okay. not during, yeah, pregnancy. I did, now that I'm educated, um, yeah. I absolutely mm-hmm. knew the importance of really keeping in that narrow range for thyroid hormones and your TSH. And um, all my, my pregnancy was super healthy, baby healthy. So I was very glad to have everything under control prior to getting pregnant and having our son.
0: Well, I remember years ago, um, a, a girl here in Little Rock, Arkansas, was had been on the Oprah Winfrey show. Her husband was killed in 9-11. And I remember her have, telling me the conversation. I'd already seen Oprah. This was 10 years ago, because it was the 10th anniversary. Now we're at the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And 10 years ago, I'd been seeing Oprah, and I noticed that um, her neck was swollen. Like, you know, once you see what goiter looks like or a swollen mm-hmm. gland, it means that something's not right somewhere between your head and your toes. And I remember going, hmm, something's not right. I think thyroid, I think uh, Oprah has thyroid disease. And then this girl was on the Oprah Winfrey show and she came back and said, yeah, she said the craziest thing. I was talking to her and she totally forgot everything I talked about. I had a restart, which is a symptom of thyroid disease is... Mm -hmm. This brain lapse, now you're having pregnancy brain, postpartum brain is similar, so it's a hard line to define. Yeah. But I remember saying in the very beginning, Oprah's got her some thyroid disease. Well, sure enough, Nostradamus that I am, she came <laughs> on TV a few months after that and said, I've been diagnosed with thyroid disease. And if you remember, she said, but I'm not going to take medicine. I'm going to do a vegan plant-based diet. mm which is the worst thing because all she did was load up on soy.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: or it is for me and a lot of mm-hmm. people I know. I know I should never make a blanket statement on anybody's nutritional choices. But with thyroid disease, you really have to walk a fine line of right. soy consumption. Or I do, I know, and many people do. And so then she became the, you know, owner of Weight Watchers and she lives in Hawaii and has you know, 15 homes all over the world and the rest is history. But my point in all this is you, you taking that into your own hands, you righted your ship pretty quickly when you realized, mm-hmm. or your doctor may have come to you and said, look, Leisha, you're yeah. cute and all, but this isn't going to work. I mean, you yeah. cannot, it's the one, and I don't like medicine, but it's the one thing I have to have
1: if I want to sit up and
0: function and, and say words.
1: And it's, I mean, that's something I really try to communicate with clients and and people I you know talk to on a regular basis because many people come to me and they say I want to get off my medication. Thyroid medication, and I'm like, first of all, it's not a prescription drug like you think it is. It is a hormone replacement that your body most of the time. Let's say ninety percent of the time, you know, people with hypothyroidism are going to need some support. Um, So it's, you know, I know it's a commitment. Sometimes it is lifelong, but if it's going to help you restore that quality of life or be a piece of the puzzle to feel your best, then it's it's worth it. And like I said, oftentimes it's, it's needed. Um, but it does depend on the root cause. Like why is your thyroid underactive in the first place? That's something that should always be looked at as well. What are some of the causes you're finding then? And the main cause, and I'm sure you know this, but for your listeners, the main cause is Hashimoto's. 80 to 90% um, is what they believe is a reason for an underactive thyroid, but some other reasonings I mean, you know, having your thyroid partially or fully removed, obviously you're going to need hormone replacement. Um, other things that can cause a thyroid to be underactive, chronic stress, um, sex hormone imbalances can disrupt thyroid hormones, um, nutrient deficiencies, iodine in particular. Um, that's the most common reason worldwide, but in developed countries, it's Hashimoto's. Um, then
0: what's so, you causing know, Hashimoto's? What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I get asked that a lot. Um, So from the research and how I've been trained, what we believe for autoimmune development, there's a couple factors that kind of need to be present for that to manifest in a person. Um, So I already talked about one of them, genetics, having some sort of genetic predisposition, um, the integrity and health of your gut, and then environment. So some sort of trigger or something to kind of launch or initiate the immune. Again, it's back to the immune system um, to cause it to be Out of balance and start to create antibodies towards yourself which should never happen ideally but it can when the situation um is you know the perfect storm is all there so a lot of people i talk to have past trauma you know, that that starts the stress response and affects the central nervous system. Um, family history is super common for thyroid disease, super common in women. Um, and a lot of people, just because of our modern day of living, don't have great diets and their gut health isn't optimal. So that's, you know, for Hashimoto's, that's kind of um, what I have been trained in and taught by, you know, different experts in the field to understand as much as we know, Right.
0: Diet-wise, what are some of the things then you want people to stay away from?
1: Uh, So like you said, I I try not to give blanket statements because everyone is different. But if I had to give some, you know, pointers in that area, um, some common ones, soy, like you said, it is a goitrogen, so it can inhibit the thyroid's utilization of iodine, which can cause it to be underactive, cause a goiter. Um, so soy is a big one. Um, gluten and dairy tend to be inflammatory for Hashimoto's and the autoimmune aspect. Um, and you know what I what I educate people on is like you don't know until you try. You won't know until you fully eliminate those foods. Give your body a break. Give your immune system some rest and reintroduce to understand how your body responds to those potential triggers. So I can't sit here and say 100% eliminate or 100% you can have it. Um, it's all trial and error. And, you know, you got to put the effort in to kind of discover and learn more about your own body.
0: But don't you think elimination diets are really the key to finding out since we are bio individuals, right? You're different from your own child to your parent to anybody. And I am same thing with even that share some DNA with me. But the the best thing to do for anybody, and it's hard, it's the Mm -hmm. first time you do elimination, I mean, I was sucking my thumb in a fetal position under a sofa going just, I want some soy and some <laughs> gluten. <laughs> and then I realized it's not the best thing for me. So mm-hmm. is
1: that how you, did you do uh, diet, elimination diet to find out for you? Yeah. Um. So since I was diagnosed at the time working at a wellness center with a naturopathic doctor, I was kind of spoiled in the fact that like I, I had say, all the resources, like work- materials, mm-hmm functional panels, anything you can name, I had at my fingertips to be able to use. And I did. I did everything you can think of for from food sensitivity panels to elimination diet that we recommend for a lot of our members at the time. Um, so I did all of myself and I, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about my specific food sensitivities, how to you know improve my diet overall. Um, and it was really eye-opening and really informative and I've done it a couple times just to kind of like, you know, our bodies change over time. It's not, I'm yeah. not the same person I was four or five years ago. So, um, I really encourage that for anyone who is clueless or just don't know where to go. Um, just to start with that. What's your opinion on
0: whole 30 then? Cause that kind of eliminates the major villains.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I don't really prescribe to any one single type of diet. I, I like some of the, you know, key things that they point, you know, whole foods and eliminating certain triggers and stuff. But sometimes I find it really does impact people's relationship with food, because it becomes too strict or too limited. Because um, I, I a lot of my clients and people I've spoken to have history of, you know, disorder eating, and they want to be cautious of what they, you know, subscribe to per se. But, um, I think there's definitely things from every type of eating that we can draw from and and implement like Mediterranean or more plant-based like, yeah, but, you know, being dogmatic about any of them, I don't think is wise because, you know, not everyone can work well on the same exact diet, like you said.
0: Well, I see that the challenges of, um, plant-based do kind of lean people into soy and gluten reliance on soy and gluten Mm
1: -hmm. and,
0: some goitrogenic foods. And I heard Dr. Mark Hyman tell the story about um the lady who is having 8 to 10 cups of kale every day putting it in a smoothie. Her TSH was over a 100. And wow. he he said he was like she said but you said we should eat more kale. He goes, well, I didn't mean <laughs> all of it. I meant some <laughs> yeah. of it every day." So what is the fine line there? Cuz a lot of the foods that we're told, you know, broccoli and uh, there's a goitrogenic family of foods. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of kale, broccoli, cruciferous. cauliflower. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anything cruciferous. Right. And those are great because of all the mm-hmm. benefits, you know, you can eat the rainbow with a lot of them. So mm-hmm. how do you keep people then from dipping their toe in the whoops, that's too much. That <laughs> That's too much kale.
1: Yeah. Um, I think with it's sometimes it's just reframing and retraining people on what they know is healthy because we get into this mindset of like some is good more is better that is not true right um right. so it's that's all right. about like you said all the kale is not going to necessarily heal you and make you all better um so greatogenic foods are more potent when they're raw so that's one thing is being aware that you don't want to overdo it raw so to what you said raw kale salads smoothies, raw juices, like you got to be careful because they're very concentrated and potent in that form. Cooking them, however, greatly reduces their goitrogenic properties, making it safer. However, the other important thing to know is in the context of also having low iodine, you can make the situation even worse. So it's being mindful of are you getting enough iodine from your diet um, or perhaps a supplement and then also cooking most of those goitrogenic foods, but you can still have a serving or two a day that's, that's raw and and likely be fine.
0: Okay. We're this far into it. And I haven't even asked the basic question. (laughs) Let's go ahead and discuss. So anybody listening, um, the basic symptoms of low thyroid function.
1: Sure. Yeah. So low thyroid function, one of the most common ones is a slowed metabolism. So most people complain of, uh, weight gain, weight loss, resistance, Um, it, it affects the digestive tract and that can result in slow motility, constipation, low stomach acid, acid reflux. You can have elevated cholesterol that happened to me. Um, which they used to use to like lead into finding and discovering hypothyroidism is, if someone's, and I don't think they do that as much anymore, which is a shame. (laughs) Um, so high cholesterol, um, you know, dry skin frail nails, hair falling out. Those are very common as well. Um, other hormonal issues, like you said, um, PMS, heavy periods, irregular cycles, infertility is a huge one, um, for women. Um, And also, uh, miscarriage Mm is another mm -hmm. trouble of keeping a pregnancy. Yep. Yeah. Miscarriages, definitely. Um, Mood issues, too. Anxiety, depression, um, brain fog, like you said, cognitive impacts as well. Um, So brain fog, poor concentration, lack of mental clarity, any of those, you know, thyroid hormones are essential to the brain, just like the rest of the body. Um, So I would say if I'm forgetting any, let me know. But those are like the the main. Did we say cold?
0: Cold, yes, cold extremities.
1: Yeah. Um, so your hands, your nose, your feet being cold all year round, that was definitely me. And I hated it.
0: Uh-huh. it and miserable. mine, well, you were in Michigan for a while. It is cold there. It is
1: cold <laughs> most of the time.
0: Right. But there was a time too, and I mentioned it earlier, my resistance, my body's ability to fight infection mm-hmm. was uh, nil. And, and it's because my immune system was just fighting all the wrong battles. Cause I have right. six autoimmune conditions in total. Mm. you know, which came first, chicken or the egg. I don't know Mm -hmm. which one did come first for me. I have an idea. Um, but that was another thing. I don't know if that's across the board. Do you see that Leisha that other people will just get, get sick more often have trouble fighting the illness. That's where I was.
1: Yeah, I think so. Especially if there's autoimmunity at play, um, causing the hypothyroidism. And then in addition to that, the thyroid, Thyroid levels can impact adrenal health and cortisol and and stress influences that and having suppressed or low cortisol can also negatively impact immunity and cause it to be lowered. So you're constantly being sick and not recovering or being very resilient. So um, I do hear that from time to time. Yeah.
0: Hi, friends. As you can see, I have a lot of enthusiasm about intermittent fasting That's because it changed my life and the way I think back in 2017. In fact, it's infected every part of my life now in lowering our insulin loads that I became a student at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition in New York, and now I have my certification as an integrative nutrition health coach. That means that I'm seeing clients. I can do that through, obviously, Zoom calls. You can do that through FaceTime. You can do that one-on-one in person. And if you're interested in becoming a client of mine, you can just email me, LisaFishersed.com. We'll put that link in the show notes, healthcoachingatlisafisshersaid.com. Now, back to the program. Well, kind of these things fall under also, uh, there's the autoimmunity umbrella, but the HPA axis, the hypothalamus, mm-hmm. um, pituitary adrenals, mm-hmm. those. So the thyroid gland again is the butterfly gland. It's the gas pedal to the body, but mm-hmm. it works in tandem. Then what you're mentioning pituitary, because pituitary is the one that says we got a problem down there, make more mm-hmm. thyroid hormone. And then your hypothalamus, obviously the brain. but then let's talk adrenals just a moment. I don't think sure. we as a society either address our adrenal issues t- enough or we self-medicate by drinking all the coffee, mm-hmm. sleeping all the wrong schedules, you know, looking at devices way into the night. do you let's talk about adrenals then. Tell me th- how important they are.
1: Uh, Super important. So if you don't know what the adrenal glands are, they're two very small triangular shaped glands that sit right on top of your kidneys. They are responsible for secreting um, hormones like adrenaline, um, epinephrine, cortisol that help us deal with stress. Um, So it's an important hormone. It's a steroid hormone. It helps us you know, survive. It's a survival hormone um, cases of stress. So whether that's real physical stress or perceived stress, our brain just knows stress and releases these hormones so we can fight, flight, freeze type of thing. And, And in an acute situation, that's great. That helps us survive the situation. But chronically so, having excess cortisol all the time and many of us do because of the stress we have and how we don't manage it well, like you said, um, that starts to cause a lot of problems, let alone disrupting thyroid hormones and our cells from getting thyroid hormones. um, It can be a huge problem. But, you know, over time, you can end up with low cortisol levels. And like I just mentioned, causing low immunity and, and fatigue and, you know, If you don't know what to do, you will self medicate with, okay, eat quick carbs for energy and and have more caffeine and then, you know, just sleep or not sleep. And it it does, you know, unless you are mindful and know what to do, it can just perpetuate and continue. And you will feel horrible because cortisol is meant to be released at certain times um, throughout the day and, and not be too high and not be too low. Okay,
0: then let's go over the difference. some people will say, "Well, I've got low cortisol."
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: others say, "I've got the abdominal fat, so I have high cortisol." So, I there must be a sweet spot that we all have. But the mm-hmm. low cortisol then you're saying is the low immunity and is that the one that's easily agitated, shaky? Yeah, irritated?
1: irritable. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. And then depression, hi- yeah. Who has then what is high cortisol? how do we know if we have high cortisol?
1: Yeah. So that the best way I've heard it described. So I tell people, so they understand is having that tired, but wired. So like overwhelm, overstimulation, um, insomnia, um, you know, just that high feeling of stress where you're turned on and you can't really relax. That's kind of a good indicator that, you know, your, your cortisol levels are above where they need to be to just get back into that parasympathetic that, you know, state of being rest and digest and recover. Um, So that's more signs of being high cortisol.
0: And the thing is the high, well, either one detriment to our health, Mm -hmm. but I know, so when I was first diagnosed, um, there's, so under the autoimmune umbrella, if I have Hashimoto's, you also, you can also have vitiligo common. Mm-hmm. Like when, when the doctor saw it, he went, oh, I, I know for sure. Now you have Hashimoto's. I can see my vitiligo starting about 20 years ago. But he said, the next thing I'm worried about for you is adrenal fatigue. And now there's Addison's disease and there are things that are serious illnesses. But before mm-hmm. you get to the serious illness, he he said there was like this partnership of your autoimmune community, you know, <laughs> getting together and you're also having that type of illness. But I remember him giving me hope and saying, the easy thing to treat though, was of those three things was adrenal fatigue mm-hmm. because he said "Now, and I don't know if this has changed again, this was 20 years ago. I'm not a caffeine drinker. So he said, if you drink caffeine, knock it off. I said, well, I don't. <laughs> he said, then um, I took adrenal cortex fractions like two and three times a day. It seems like, and again, this was 18 years ago. Mm-hmm. So I haven't had to have it since. Is that still kind of the feeling of adrenal fatigue and how to treat it?
1: Yeah. And, um, I think that a more accurate description of what that is, is like you said, the HPA access dysfunction, because it's not so much, unless you have Addison's or Cushing's disease, your adrenal glands can probably produce the appropriate amounts, but it's all about the brain communicating with the adrenal glands to tell it to produce the right amount throughout the day. And when probably, And when, absolutely. So the normal curve for cortisol release should be high in the morning. So we can wake up, go about our day, respond to the day. And then, you know, about noon or so, it starts to go down. And then by the evening, it should be pretty low. So we can relax and go to sleep. And it actually is an opposite rhythm to melatonin. Melatonin is low in the morning and starts to increase towards evening. Um, So, yeah, as far as treatment, I mean, there's a lot of things that you can do to to beyond the, the vague term of stress management, <laughs> there's things that you can right. do to help cortisol output be not too high and not too low. And I can, I can talk about some of those if you want. Oh, or Oh, I'd love get... to. I, th-
0: I think this is fascinating.
1: Sure. Yeah. So, yep. um, some easy things to do that I think I mean, I tell my all of my clients, a lot of these strategies, um, having very balanced protein rich meals with fiber, good fats, because having that roller coaster of blood sugar output, you know, too high and then these going too low, these peaks and valleys that does cause a stress on the body and cortisol will be released in response to that to mobilize glucose if you go too low. Oh, so I see. staying ahead of the game of balanced blood sugar levels so your body doesn't have to force glucose to be released from the liver, from glycogen, um, is okay. a good way to help ba- balance cortisol, the stress hormones. So protein first thing in the morning, balanced meals, not waiting too long between meals. Um, now, I know you mentioned... Um, you know, some people do fasting and some people use that for healing, too. And I'm not saying that's not valid. That can absolutely be a great tool for healing, depending on the person and what they have going on. If someone's got adrenal issues, blood sugar issues, lots of stress, I, that's, I don't recommend that right away. We've got some work to do first um, to get to that point. And then fasting will be a positive stressor versus being a negative stressor on the system. Um, some other things is, you know, B vitamins and magnesium are really important, Salt is important for the adrenal glands. Um, i not talking about processed salt, but high quality, you know, Celtic or sea salt um, is good to have in the diet. The right minerals, electrolytes, um, adaptogens are becoming extremely popular, so they can be a good tool. Um, granted, you're making the necessary lifestyle changes as, as far as proper sleep um, proper decompression, um, movement, movement. Actually. Yeah. That's a really important one too, is not overdoing it on intense, strenuous exercise that your body is not able to handle. So boot camps and CrossFit and HIIT training, not everyone is in a good place to, again, the stress can quickly go from a positive stress to a negative one on your body and your body will respond with, okay, more cortisol, more cortisol, and then you wonder why you're not losing weight. <laughs> it's because your hormones are disrupted. Um, so yeah, ditching the caffeine, ditching the processed sugar, um, adaptogens. Those are, those are herbs that help to mitigate the stress response. Um, a lot of them have dual purposes of even when your stress is high and low, it kind of helps bring it to the middle. Um, some provide energy, some help you relax. They do have different purposes. So I tell people, work with a practitioner. Don't just blindly start supplementing because you might want to know what you're doing instead of just thinking that they're all good for you.
0: Um, One thing I've noticed too, as women get pre and perimenopausal Mm -hmm. that um, exercise is a different word. It has a different meaning when -hmm. you reach your late forties and fifties. And I know that just by seeing my peers Go through the same thing, you know, anyone struggling. Um, and one was in our Institute for Integrative Nutrition. One of our instructors told the story about the woman who had trained for the New York City Marathon, and she had trained for nine months. She ran 40 to 90 miles a week. She handed wow. her food diary. It was pristine. She gained 26 pounds. Yeah. Because it was too much stress on her body. Mm-hmm. So the instructor explained how she had been a runner. She was, um, probably in her thirties, but as a younger girl had been a runner and that she was at a wellness center in New York and was just doing Tai Chi every day. For those of you watching on YouTube, this is Tai Chi. (laughs) All righty, we're done. And, uh, she went on a 20 minute walk every day. She quit running. Her clothes fell off her. And the paradox of that is more, isn't better. Mm-hmm. and i just hear so many women i see them post on social media i've been doing hit for the last 6 months i've been doing crossfit and my cl- my jeans are tighter you know things aren't yeah. getting better and i just want to say simmer down lady <laughs> and i i do think women's our female hormones have to do with that do you see that lisha that as we age that the definition of exercise starts
1: to change sure yeah hormones definitely play a role you know perry menopause and menopause estrogen falls and that also dictates where you're storing weight and if you're doing things that your body perceives as stressful cortisol is going to ensure that that weight is stored right around your waist where you don't want it that visceral fat that's dangerous because it surrounds your organs um so i like to frame exercise as movement because i i I like to yeah like movement that you do throughout the whole day not just in a block setting i mean everyone's schedule is different. You have to do what you can, but sitting for eight hours and only doing 30 to 60 minutes of movement for the whole day, they've done studies to show that that can be worse than doing 10 to 15 minutes throughout the day or just having an active job per se. Um, That is a lot more friendly too on your hormones and, you know, your whole body is making sure that you're not just not moving for the whole day. So, okay. So what, what can someone do like, 10 minute yoga stretches, go outside, uh, anything they're going to be sustainable with because I, you know, if I say walking and you hate walking, well then maybe that's not right for you. I, right. I personally love getting outside and walking. It is therapeutic. I love nature, sunshine, vitamin D, um, get away from electronics. Cause my, my job involves me to be on my phone or computer almost all the time. So walking it's very low impact. Most people can do it, but Other gentle forms of exercise that I like, you know, recumbent bike could be good, especially if you have some people have injuries that they can't maybe walk as much. Um, I really love resistance training and, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes is better than zero minutes. So start with what you're able to commit to. And, you know, if you have to break it up to a morning session and an evening session, that's great. You know, instead of saying I can't do a full hour, therefore, I won't do anything. Well, that's that's not going to help anybody. So
0: does, I'm trying to think if I I, I do most of my exercise throughout the day, I guess, but at night I wouldn't do it because does it spike my adrenal glands to work? Like, you know, it energizes (laughs) me and then maybe I couldn't fall asleep.
1: Sure. I personally, I like doing like a post-dinner walk. Because okay. it helps yeah. to, it does help with insulin sensitivity a little bit and utilizing glucose. Um, if it relaxes you, yes, some people exercise is stimulating and then they can't sleep. And in that situation, like sleep is obviously crucial. So like you don't want to disrupt your sleep and everyone's different. Some people, it helps them relax because they've been able to, you know, use energy um, and help them fall asleep. So they're not so restless. And for other people, it provides energy. So I guess you have to understand like what type are you?
0: Okay. Then let's talk about sleep. I mean, its it used to be the word in the 80s and 90s that you didn't need a lot of that because you were a loser if you weren't burning <laughs> the midnight oil and you were doing 20 hour days at the office. Well, we now mm-hmm. know that that raised a generation of people with broken thyroids and everything else and cancers and all these diseases because yeah. of lifestyle. So let's talk about how valuable sleep is. You know, there's some cultures that even take, or some groups of people that take naps every day. And there's some- yeah healthcare providers that say, take a nap. Well, wouldn't we all feel guilty taking a nap?
1: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about how our society has (laughs) labeled rest, which is so funny when you think about it. Um, Especially for myself being in the entrepreneurial realm, it's really hard to prioritize rest and recovery and sleep sometimes because you do feel like you have to go, go, go. And there's so many things to do. And, um, a lot of my clients are busy moms, working moms, and they, they feel like they never have a minute to themselves. And that's, that's dangerous. You know, If that goes on for too long, it will absolutely lead to burnout. But sleep is one of the first things too. I start helping people improve their sleep habits and their sleep schedule and just optimize their sleep as much as possible because that is going to set the foundation and the tone for like the rest of healing and the rest of their body. If poor sleep is there, forget about your diet. Forget about exercise. Like we need to work on getting the proper sleep first.
0: So it's the backbone, really. Yes.
1: Yeah. I of like your that. health.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, where Where do you start? Do you start with melatonin? Do you start with magnesium? I mean, what do you do? Is it? Are you
1: more concerned that people fall asleep or stay asleep? Uh, both. Um, so I don't necessarily begin with supplements. Sometimes, um, magnesium can definitely be helpful. It's a very relaxing nutrient. Um, but more so just, you know, I find out what do you do before bed? Are you on your phone? Are you watching TV? Are you stressed out right before bed? Um, we want to restructure how you get ready and prepare your mind and your body to relax and go to sleep. So sometimes it's working on their sleep schedule. People are staying up past midnight, but they have to be up at 6 a.m. for work. That's mm. not good. I um, also work on going to bed sooner, um, doing things, like I said, to prepare your body, whether it's uh, an evening snack with some tea, journaling, taking a hot shower or a warm bath, something like that to help you wind down so you're not sitting in bed restless, thinking about the day um, as a lot of people do, and then they can't fall asleep, or... You know, cortisol and mismanaged blood sugar can also wake you up during the, the middle of the night, which also can disrupt your sleep quality and prevent that deep sleep from being achieved, which is the restorative sleep and very important. So it really depends on the situation. Um, once in a while, I'll use melatonin if it, it might benefit someone, especially if they're things like traveling or job
0: shifts that are not. Oh, but not often then, you don't. that's not your first line of defense then.
1: Not usually a lot of times if, we, th- yeah, we, yeah, we think. I, oh, I'll just take some melatonin. Sure, sure. I mean, I like to start with the. So here's my my other train of thought too. With that is if your cortisol is all mismanaged, throwing more melatonin at it isn't necessarily going to solve things. Um, and I like to focus on like the big rocks and the habits first, and then like the smaller rocks, like supplements and things like that, can be focused on secondary.
0: Wow, sleep is so important, and it is it. I, it's something that we think, well, I don't need, I'm fine at six hours. And we're not, <laughs> Co- they say our reflexes are that of a drunk person, you know, all the things. Yep. Okay. Well, let's segue into alcohol, which, what's your feeling on, uh, you know, women are big about saying it's wine o'clock. You know, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I chase my wine at night with coffee in the morning. Then I replaced my coffee in the morning with wine at night, you know, and it's a cycle, <laughs> yeah. but
1: it's, it's kind of killing us too. Don't you think? I think it can. Um, I get asked that question a lot. Um, that and coffee. Coffee and alcohol, they're like, tell me what to do. And I'm like, I can't tell you what to do because you're an adult. But I can tell you the reasons why you should or shouldn't and maybe a safe way to go about it. So with alcohol, there's multiple things to consider. How much are you drinking? Why are you drinking? What type are you drinking? Because some alcohol has gluten, You know, your beer, certain types right. of liquor. Um, it can disrupt the gut microbiome. Um, so that's really important for autoimmunity as well. I mean, alcohol is a known toxin. We all know that. We know too much is going to damage your liver and your, your organs. So having an amount that works for you if you decide to drink is going to be key. You know, they say recommendations for women is one serving a day. For men, it's two. That also, that's I feel like, too should much. be individualized. I mean, if you think about a drink every single day, that's kind of a lot because it adds up. Um, but you know, I, the other aspect too. the flip side is just like food, alcohol is a social and pleasurable thing and can help people relax, but it, you know, sometimes can become, um, a coping mechanism and And it's a sleep disruptor. I was just going to say, it can, people say it helps me fall asleep and actually it prevents quality sleep. It makes you feel sleepy, but it can actually prevent your, your brain and your body from getting into that really good restorative sleep. So, I would say, you know, socially once in a while, I think it's probably fine for the majority of people, but people who are more dependent and then they have like gut issues and their liver's inflamed and they have fatty liver, like probably a great idea to take a break, um, and, and reduce that.
0: But fatty liver,
1: that's not, that's not necessarily an alcohol issue, is it? No. So Historically, yes, the main cause of fatty right. liver um, was alcohol induced, and that could lead to cirrhosis or scarring of the liver, um, which is very serious, um, can be fatal. But now, you know, more recent times, because of the introduction of you know processed fructose, um, refined carbs. Non-alcohol fatty liver disease is a real problem and isn't even in fact you know, affecting children who obviously have not drank a drop of alcohol. Wow. So fat infiltrates the liver and prevents it from functioning and if not reversed, can lead to scarring and you know, inhibiting the proper function of the liver and can also be very serious and is linked with like obesity and um, so it's, it's really pretty wild that it this you know alcohol and a really poor diet and overconsumption of calories can lead to the same end result.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. Okay, let's talk about the gut and how important that is. Do you feel like gut healing has a lot to do with um, turning around your hypothyroid symptoms and your TSH?
1: Yeah, I think it's a huge factor. Um, Most people I work with need a lot of assistance with their gut health. Um, It's a two way street when it comes to the thyroid. Thyroid hormones impact the gut. The gut also helps to convert thyroid hormones. So we have to, you know, consider how they impact one another. But Working on restoring a diverse, robust microbiome is going to be really key for helping to better regulate the immune system when we're speaking of Hashimoto's. And um, our diet is a big part of that, going back to like the elimination diet and understanding what foods are potentially, you know, causing that inflammation and causing that immune response. So there's a lot of things. You, I mean, gut health in and of itself, as you know, is a huge topic. But it is very important. It's, for, it's the
0: topic now.
1: Yeah, it is you the know, topic. It yeah. is the
0: topic yeah. that you think, "Sheesh, do you people get a commission on every probiotic you sell?" No, it's the <laughs> fact that we really think this works. So, right. where do you start in repopulating the gut? Do you first, you know, you mentioned the elimination. Then, do yeah. you go t- first toward elimination and then
1: repopulating with the good stuff? I usually start with both recommending pro and prebiotic supplement and dietary sources at the same time because I don't, I think you can start that right away. You don't have to wait until removing, you know, the elimination phase. So I usually start on that right away. I get them on a good um, quality probiotic you know, I work with practitioner grade companies to provide, cause there are some companies that aren't as, you know, as you know, right. Good of, uh, quality, but, um, also food sources, you know, if people can handle them fermentable or fermented foods, um, prebiotic rich vegetables and, um, what
0: besides the green banana, mm-hmm. which who wants to eat a green banana? Yeah. I mean, I know it's supposed to be so good for you. What are the good prebiotic
1: foods and we could have? Yeah. uh, I know asparagus, onions, leaves, I believe. I know some, a lot of them, they say in their raw state though, which (laughs) isn't for everyone. So I, you know, normally what I say is just get a really good um, diverse selection of fibrous foods. And you know, even those, Oh, jicama, that's another one. That's a good one. Oh, jicama, but fibrous foods in general are going to help feed our gut, our beneficial gut bugs. Whereas refined carbs and sugar actually feed the harmful pathogenic bacteria in our gut that can lead to disease and weight mismanagement and other problems. So, you, you know, just think your nutrition while you eat also feeds your little allies in your gut and you want to make sure you're feeding the right ones. I know I sometimes
0: forget which team they play for because I'm eating the wrong one sometimes. (laughs) And I noticed one time when I did do my first elimination diet was around the time my thyroid went out because I knew I couldn't figure out what was wrong. Mm. So I did, um, what is it when you're removing, it was the toxins. It was yeast. Oh, Oh, oh my gosh. And that had a lot to do with you know, the cereal light in the morning and these other things, because the sugar fed the yeast maybe. And I may be not saying that right, but girl, I'm telling you, I was so, I smelled funny (laughs) because I had this (laughs) die off that happens. And I was so tired, but that was my first foray into, that was the worst of all the eliminations I've done probably Mm -hmm. was that. And maybe it's because I've tightened up my gut health and I can now eliminate things and they I don't have the feeling that I'm This close to ending it all for everybody. (laughs) You feel bad. Did you ever have any of that in any of your eliminations?
1: That flu-like and ago. lethargy. I don't think very strong, not strong enough that I have like an acute memory of it, but I know it was, it's difficult. I'm not going to say it's like the it easiest is. thing to The first eliminate. time, the
0: first few times you do it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, um, but I know for some people that's a very real thing. Like you said, the die off effect and, and having, you know, getting worse before you get better. Yeah. That's you exactly know, you right. kind of got to just make it through that period.
0: And you stink.
1: I mean, or you don't,
0: but I stunk. <laughs> And I I, I can't imagine. Right. Well, look what I'm going to do. We're going to wrap things up. We're going to send people to your website. All's going to be in the show notes. Uh, the different things she kind of talked about. Oh, we didn't even get to one of the others. Uh, a big offender of the thyroid is fluoride and what's in our water fluoride. What's in your toothpaste or your y'all's toothpaste, not in my toothpaste, not in my water,
1: but (laughs) what's your, what's your opinion? Do you keep fluoride out of your diet? Uh, yeah, yeah, as much as possible. So my husband and I, we put a water filtration system on the whole house to also do like you got to think about when you take showers and what you're right. breathing in, including right. chlorine. Um, so we did that, and then you know oral care products, re, you know, removing fluoride. And um, I have found other companies, or specifically one that I work with and promote for my thyroid clients, because they are one of the best as far as like the natural. Um, Which one is toothpaste. that? It's called Ojuk, O J O O K. They're relatively new, and I um, okay. have become, you know, close with the owner, and I just I love her products. There, okay. they're so Good. great. My dentist was very happy. I'll just say that. But um, yeah, fluoride. Um, once upon a time, was actually used as treatment for hyperthyroidism. It was used to suppress thyroid function. Which they if gave you a hyper- tablet, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So I mean. You don't want it if you already have underactive thyroid, because what it does is it can actually prevent the thyroid again from using iodine, which is crucial. I mean, it's absolutely necessary to form thyroid hormones. The numbers behind T3, T4, those are the numbers of iodine molecules used to create the hormone. So when fluoride is in the same on the periodic table, you can see it's in the same family. And chemically, it's very similar so that can, you know, disrupt the whole utilization of iodine for the thyroid and, and cause more issues. So for people with an underactive thyroid, I do recommend trying to get fluoride out of their, you know, their water and their oral care products. And if you have good oral care products, you don't need fluoride to prevent cavities and all. Of and that. if
0: you have a cleaner diet, you know, if you have a diet yeah. that's eating whole foods, yes. you don't have to worry about cavities and other things. Yeah. So there exactly. I said it. Everybody quit eating crap. <laughs> yeah, it's how you wanted to say it, but you're too smart, and you got nerdy there in the end, and I loved it when we started talking T three and D four and iodine and stuff. So- oh, thanks. I just, <laughs> I just get so silly. Hey, great guest. Thanks. You keep telling everybody about this little beloved thing right will. Don't there. Don't worry. Let's keep it healthy. Did you have a boy or a girl when you had your baby? We had a boy. Well, you don't have to worry about his thyroid as much, but not as much. But we'll next probably time, check. That's right. And next time, <laughs> if you have a girl, check her thyroid. Yes, for sure. Thanks for listening to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe and download all the episodes and leave a review, won't you? The Lisa Fisher Said Podcast is produced by ClantonCreative.com.